Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome into a Monday special edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. I've got a real treat for you guys today. We have a special interview that we're going to be taking place. We have Renee Washington, a former three-time All-American at LaSalle University as a D1 soccer player. She is now a sports reporter for ESPN, Fox Sports, as well as the Philadelphia Union. It is a real treat to have her on today. Renee, thank you so much for taking some time out of your Monday to come on Final Whistle and chat it up. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And I didn't even realize you're rocking your gear. I like that. That's Thank that's you. Nice. Always, always <laughs> got to do a little bit of the professional marketing on the podcast. Right, right. Like subtle, very subliminal very, marketing. Very subtle. <laughs> well, Renee, I want to talk about um, your collegiate career a little bit. You were a multi-sport athlete over at LaSalle where you did, ran track and field as well as uh, being a pronounced soccer player. What led you to LaSalle University in the first place? Yeah, um, it's funny because I don't fully, fully remember um, some aspects of it, but I do know through the recruiting process, I was looking at a number of schools, a wide variety of programs for soccer and actually for basketball. And I, at the end of the day, wanted to go somewhere that was not too far from home. I, I'm born and raised in New Jersey, but also somewhere that gave me an opportunity to play. And academics were big for me, but so was soccer. I wanted to have the balance of both. I wanted to be able to go into a program that I could contribute. Um, I didn't definitely did not think I was going to go into a program and be as successful as I was, but I was just thinking I want to go somewhere I can play, somewhere that I know I can compete and um, work towards maybe being a starter and, and have an opportunity to be involved in the program's uh, change. And that's what LaSalle was. It was a program that prior to when I was there, it was kind of like um, middle of the pack for the Atlantic 10. But, you know, in conversations through the recruiting process, I could see that they had a lot of pieces that were coming together to really turn the, the corner. So, you know, when I was looking at that program compared to others, I was like, you know, what? I think this is one that is a good fit for me to be able to have kind of everything that I was looking for. And it turned out to be a great experience without a doubt. That's fantastic. Uh, what part of New Jersey are you from? I went to school at Seton Hall, so that's why I'm curious, honestly. Oh, okay. I'm from, um, so I'm originally from Ewing, New Jersey, which is just outside of like Trenton and Princeton. Mm -hmm. um, but I went to Pennington Prep. for. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I went to, I'm from California, but I went to school out in New Jersey. So that's why I was a little curious about the New Jersey background. So. Okay. Very nice. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I don't often meet people that even are familiar with New Jersey. Um, like the, the different areas. So whenever somebody's like, oh, I know this, I'm like, all right, you know then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, as you said, you were hoping just to become a starter at LaSalle. It kind of, you kind of blew up from there, becoming a three-time All-American. You put LaSalle on the map, bringing them to their first ever NCAA tournament. Just was that, was that your motivation just to try and help the program grow? Did you see that it was going to explode like it did? Can you just elaborate? Yeah. So, I mean, I think something I always try to stress to anybody that's going through the recruiting process, or even, even, even if you're going through the process of finding a job is find somewhere that you can be happy, you know? And I remember looking at big programs, um, you know, biggie schools, I was looking at ACC schools. I was looking at a lot of large programs and I just, in the conversation, there's always something that jumps out at you that, that rubs you either the wrong way or tells you like, okay, this is, this is a spot that does align with who I am. So as I was coming into LaSalle, I definitely felt like it had a lot of those pieces of what I was looking for. But again, I was not expecting to blow up the way I did. I grew up playing soccer for my dad. 
I didn't, I wasn't one that was paying thousands and thousands of dollars to play soccer. Like a lot of, a lot of my uh, friends that I played against were doing, you know, I, I did grow up on the state team for New Jersey. I represented the region and made the regional team. Unfortunately, never made the national team, but I was playing against a lot of players that still play to this day um, on the men's and women's side and at the professional level. And so, you know, for me, it was just a matter of wanting to go somewhere I can play. I loved the game of soccer as a player. You know, I, I still miss not being able to play. And I just wanted to go somewhere that I could do what I love. And that was LaSalle. Um, so through the process, it was really just a matter of figuring out where can I go where I can be challenged. I didn't want to go somewhere and just hit the bench for four years, but I also didn't want to go somewhere that was too easy. You know, I wanted to go somewhere that I could be a part of something bigger than myself. When I was at Pennington, it was the same thing. We were, we made history in a lot of ways. I was able to make some history in some ways. So I wanted that in college too. Again, I never expected to be an All-American once, let alone three times, or for us to reach the NCAA tournament or win conference championships. But I, you know, I just was happy to be a part of something that was bigger than myself. For sure. And then you ended up testing the waters at the next level. You tried out for Sky Blue FC. Um, how much of a difference in the game for you? How hard was that transition, even from Pennington to LaSalle, then from LaSalle to the Sky Blue FC? What what were the intangibles like? How much more driven were they? Can you just mm. elaborate? Yeah, one, some of the biggest differences uh, for me, because I, I was fortunate that I always played against a variety of players growing up. So I played against older players. I played against younger players, boys, girls. Um, I played against some players that were top in, the, in their class, you know? So I, not that I was ever perfectly able to step into any next chapter, but I felt like I just was always working to improve. And it's ironic because a lot of those same aspects that I had as a player, I still have today of like always wanting to challenge myself, always wanting to learn and get better. So from high school to college um, was, a, was a, of course a big jump, you know, it's more physical, it's a faster game. It's more, it's a more uh, higher soccer IQ in terms of like thinking through the game, same thing from college to the pros, you know, but for me, it just got to a point where it changed from, as I was progressing, my outlook on the game changed. You know, I, I had been through a lot as a player. I mean, soccer has been one of the greatest blessings in my life, but it also has been one of the biggest challenges um, because there aren't many people that look like me. And I, I had to deal with a lot as a player that was kind of under the radar and, and overlooked in that sense. Um, of always having to prove myself. So when I got to the professional level between dealing with injuries and politics, unfortunately, the biggest hurdle for me that I could not fully get over was that and realizing, you know what, I, I think it's time for me to move in a different direction. I feel like I felt like I had done all I could do as a player. I felt like I had reached the point where my love for the game had changed. And it was time for me to switch into something different that allowed me to still enjoy being around sports, enjoy you know, what I was doing each and every day. So um, every once in a while, I feel like we just get to those points where it's like, you feel like you're running into a wall and you're like, why is this so frustrating? Why is this so stressful? And it's like, okay, it's just, it's time to make a move. And that's how it was for me with soccer. It was time to retire essentially um, as a player and get, and step into a coaching role and step into pursuing my other passions. And that was the unfortunate part. I still always look back and I'm like, did I have more in me? But I know it worked out for the best, you know, like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing, honestly. How difficult was that burden that you had that you had on your shoulders having to deal with being overlooked and having to deal with all those other expectations that kind of hindered your ability to continue playing? 
that was that was one of the toughest parts of it all because I felt as though I didn't fully get to choose on my own. You know, I also was just tired mentally. And so it made soccer stressful. It made soccer frustrating. It made it feel more like a job. And I was I was the type that growing up, I played soccer all the time. Like I was playing in my backyard. I remember being the kid, I was at my sister's games with a soccer ball. Like everywhere I was, I had a soccer ball. So I just loved to play anywhere in my living room. I'd play pickup, I'd play all the time and just love the game. So I think that was the hardest part knowing like, my love of the game was taken away, um, not by choice, but that's partly why I did get into coaching because I wanted to give players an opportunity to just be able to enjoy playing and not have to deal with some of the politics I dealt with. So it was very frustrating. And that's one of the biggest to this day things that frustrate me knowing some of my friends that I played with or, or players I played against, they were maybe able to keep going because they didn't have to deal with as much, you know, because of, I always had to fight for everything everything I did because of the way I look because of whatever reasons and it got exhausting unfortunately so again I don't regret anything because I know everything does happen for a reason and I'm thankful for the experiences the success the lessons I learned so much about myself through all of that because I was able to realize just how much I can accomplish just how much I can do despite the doubt the naysayers the frustration the stress um to be able to still persevere that, that strength is something that has carried me. So while it is very frustrating looking back as an adult, looking back, like how could coaches or, or this or that have happened? But again, I, I don't hold it ever. I don't hold it against anyone because I, at the end of the day, it definitely made me who I am today. Yeah. And you then made that transition to coaching, as you mentioned. And so what kind of angle did you try to bring as a coach? Did you try and give more of a player's perspective from a different viewpoint because you're more on the sidelines and you're more of a mentor at that point. And then what led you into broadcasting? I know you were getting your master's degree as well while you were coaching and what inspired you to get into broadcasting on the side as well? Yeah. So um, it's funny because when I was in uh, my junior year at LaSalle, I started realizing my undergrad degree was in public relations. And um, so I was working in communication, but I was working in a much different role around like press releases and creating like marketing materials and social media management. And I was realizing a lot of those components I loved, but a lot of those I really did not like, you know, I didn't like the office job of like being at a desk. Although ironically, I'm feel like I'm at a desk more now than ever, but I didn't like being at a desk Monday to Friday, eight to five. I didn't like just kind of like the structure of it, but I loved to be able to being able to create content, being creative and having um, the, the ideas that I could put it out as to how to best connect with people. And I just started pulling from different things that I enjoyed. And I'm like, what does this look like in a job? You know, what do I enjoy? I, I've always loved sports. I come from a sports family where everybody played a sport. Basketball was the main sport, but I have football, track, boxing, soccer, a lot of athletes in my family. So sports run thick and through, <laughs> very thick in my family. Um, but I wasn't sure what it looked like. So it was actually in undergrad that I started realizing this is what I wanted to do. But it wasn't until grad school that I started realizing this is what I have to do. You know, like I was starting to figure out, okay, I, I enjoy coaching. I, I still coach youth soccer to this day. Um, I'm still involved with the game at the youth level, but I realized this is not something I could do fully. You know, I was given offers to coach full-time um, as a first assistant in college. And that was very young out of college. So yes, I had a path that I could have taken, but 
again, I knew that I wanted to do more. And I knew that I, my passion lied in these, the different roles that broadcasting does allow and the opportunities it allows to have these types of conversations, to be able to share stories, to be able to cover games, to be able to help, um, for me, use my platform to, to grow all sports that I possibly can. So um, it was difficult, but it was in grad school. I actually started working with the Lehigh Sports Media Department. I started doing freelance writing. I created my own YouTube channel. I just slowly started building up my career. So during those two years, it was like a building time for me to kind of like cram in everything I felt like I had missed to start turning in, um, my career elements that I had into being a sports reporter. And now you do, you've done, you're on-air host for the union, you do sideline reporting, as well as you have your own podcast or radio show beyond the headlines. Mm-hmm. For you, what kind of angle do you try to bring as a broadcaster, especially when you're trying to have so many different variables, especially if you're doing a show versus play-by-play, color commentary, even as a sideline reporter, what are the angles are you trying to unleash? It's a good question. Uh, for me, it's about finding unique ways to connect with people. Um, I've been interviewed so many times as a player. Um, and of course, now as a broadcaster, I'm in a, a number of these conversations. But I just remember thinking back to, you know, my perspective as a player. What would I have wanted to people to know? What would I have wanted people to see or understand? Um, as a coach, same thing. And definitely as a broadcaster. So I try to bring those unique perspectives that you would not get and I always tell people, find the storylines you would not get from, from Google or from looking at a box score or from just seeing something at first sight. Let's dig deeper. So from a sports perspective, the analysis is like, how can we go um, literally beyond the headlines, which is where I got the name for my show from, of like getting into topics that we may not always discuss. You know, we discuss a lot of the trending topics. We discuss major headlines. Yes. And I'll talk about those too. But there's so many great stories that we're not seeing. So I try to always find unique ways to to connect with an audience and bring them something so that every story, whether it is just a game analysis or a pregame show or just a a weekly show, they're going to walk away from it with something that they feel like they've learned or enjoyed or they feel inspired in some way. But I I never wanted to just be a cookie, cookie cutter reporter of like talking about all the same things that everybody else is, bringing the same analysis and perspective. I want to bring something unique. That's really what my goal has always been. Are there any stories that have been really like interesting or have stood out for you with any players or any interviews that you've done that have you've had like a story like, wow, like this is one for like that I'm going to remember for a long time? Yeah, I mean, I think um, something I love always doing is when talking with a player and kind of getting their behind the scenes perspective. Like I know a lot of times we often see player success. We see the stats, we see, you know, um, what they're doing on the field. We don't, we have no idea what's going on off the court, off the field. What's what's what led them there. So I love, I love hearing about people's journeys, you know, um, hearing about the challenges, changing moments in their life that help, you know, them figure out who they are, helping them similar to this conversation we're having now, helping them pursue their goals and helping them realize that they could play at a high level. So I've had a number of those types of conversations, um, but I even have had conversations off the sports side of, like I, I remember a woman I spoke to that was in jail for, for years and um, she was in jail for much longer than she should have been. And the way she turned her life around um, as a young woman, having been in jail in college um, and, and I'm thinking like, gosh, that's 
I'm not too far removed from when she was in, imprisoned. I can't even imagine. So I also enjoy those stories of, of the inspiration of people that have been through things that are unfortunately way tougher than what I've ever gone through and persevered and have come out of it stronger, have been able to do something incredible through it and to be able to share those stories. Because again, I, I think we often just see things for its cover. You know, we always judge a book by, a by its cover instead of understanding what's really going on. So there have been a lot, I've actually had some really good stories that I've like teared up at or, or been emotional about or whatever, because it is, it's so raw, it's so transparent, it's so honest. But those are the best ones, in my opinion, that connect with people in a, a very unique way. Could you give any of uh, any of the, give a story of one of them, if you don't mind? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you uh, one that that like gives me chills is I was doing a story of, on um, a former football player in the NFL. His name is Nesby Glasgow. And um, if anybody knows right off the bat, he has passed away. And I did an interview with him a couple months before he passed. And I remember on the interview, we were just talking about his football career, his legacy, the work he's done. And he was in that moment, he, he actually was getting emotional and, and started breaking up and um, was discussing how, you know, he just had found out or he's been battling, he had been battling cancer and how he has grandchildren that he's trying to, you know, build for and how he's all the stuff he's trying to do for them and how he's fighting and fighting and fighting, um, trying to survive, trying to beat cancer. So fast forward a couple months later when he passed away, that I was like, it, it still gives me chills because I remember having a conversation with him talking about his battle, talking about the legacy he's trying to leave, talking about how he's like, I have my grandchildren, especially my one grandson who's working to get into college to play football and what he was trying to help him do and how he literally left it all and did every, was doing so much, even as he was fighting cancer, fighting for his life, how he was still pouring himself into others. It just gave me chills to know that he was comfortable enough to share that with me. You know, I, I didn't know, I knew he had cancer, but I didn't know, you know, the severity of it. So for him to even in that interview kind of touch on that and share that and be emotional and be comfortable being emotional with me in the interview was kind of the moment where I realized just the power that we have as broadcasters to really capture these stories because I still have that on YouTube. I mean, that was now about a a little, it was a little over, it was over a year ago, actually, because it was before COVID. Um, but I still now I'm like, wow, that's, that's an interview I will, I will always hold on to and cherish because this was a man that I didn't know life was going to take him from us a couple months later, but I was fortunate to be able to meet him and be able to connect with him before he passed and get his story. So that's one that jumps out at me. And I have others not as, not as sad where the person has passed away. Um, but I have others where even I remember doing an interview with someone, um, who was, she, she was a big time TikTok dancer and she came up with the Savage Dance. And I remember interviewing her at the beginning, uh, Kiara, and she was talking about coming up with the dance. And then fast forward, her she's now like doing big things. She's working with all these major artists. So I even have some interviews I've done with people kind of in the beginning of their career as things were just taking off. And then months later they're blowing up and I'm like holy smokes I spoke with you I saw one of my former guests that I interviewed on like America's Got Talent he like he was like competing with it like it's been some major moments uh one was in this performing at the Super Bowl you know and it's just it's exciting it's 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 thrilling to know that they 
and I were I was able to connect with them kind of before it all started and and share a little bit about their journey leading to that. So yeah, the list goes on and on, but I think that's the biggest thing. You just never know where someone's going to end up, how their career is going to turn out. And we may be having this conversation and then four or five months from now, you're doing something completely different that it's like, wow, we we spoke. <laughs> I spoke with that person. That's for sure. And those stories are always the best ones when they bring you into their world. They're willing to have that open feeling and almost give you like that you're you're part of the team now like you're part of the you're part of my clique and how I will tell you as much as you want to know those are always the ones you got to cherish too and Renee you've all you do so much more just not just broadcasting and you do modeling public speaking acting uh, you host uh, events as well as being an author what has led you to go down so many different platforms and avenues for you? Yeah, I think it actually goes a lot back to uh, my childhood of growing up um, and really feeling like, like I've always felt as though I have talents that I just never fully tapped into, you know? And so like, I have been right. I've, Everyone always always says, you're an author. What have you published? I'm like, I'm still writing. Like, I'm in the process of writing a few things. Um, I have no idea when they'll be published. Hopefully in my lifetime, I'll be done with them. Um, but that's something like I'm I'm always working on things. You know, I even at this moment have been um, working behind the scenes on some plans on the business side of things that I've been putting together. But I just never, I don't know, I've never been complacent doing the bare minimum. It's it's a It's a blessing and a curse. I'm a workaholic. But I, because I love being able to, to really tap into all these different areas. I'm like, I have one life to live. Why pigeonhole myself to just being one thing, you know? And I have always juggled, as you mentioned earlier, I was a two sport athlete, but a lot of people don't even know that. They don't know I ran track in college. I had seven or eight internships in college. I, I was working and being an athlete and doing all these different things. Um, you know, I, I have never been someone, and, and again, this is one of my greatest strengths and weaknesses, someone that just does one thing. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know what that is. I don't even know if I will ever know what that is. Um, so for me, it's like, if I had the ability to do some of these different things, especially for me, it's always about giving back and helping others. So if I can write uh, a book that's going to inspire others, which is what I'm working on, or put together this business plan, that's going to help change others' perspectives. Why not? You know, if, if I can do it, why not be the person to, to take on that challenge? So I just feel for me, it's like a lot of times people say, why do you do so much? I'm like, why not do so much? You know, if I can do it, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I, I can I have the time to do it. Why not be more than just a sports supporter in this sense, as cliche as that is. So I, I have so many different passions. And I think that was one of the hardest things for me growing up, to be honest, was because I'm like, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a professional basketball and soccer player. I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to, like, I wanted to be so yeah. many different things because I've always just enjoyed the diversity of being so many things, you know? And I feel like it's, it all does connect. It's all still connected. It's not all random things, um, but it's something that gives me, that keeps me going. That's my balance. So like, if I do feel like I'm getting tired of, um, I don't know, writing, for example, okay, let me go do some modeling stuff yeah. now, you know, like, let me just tap into these different areas, but We'll see how this all turns out. Again, I'm I'm still very young in my career. I've got a lot, a lot to go, God willing. Um, so we'll see how it all turns out. But right now, I think it's just 
I don't like to close doors. I don't like to ever assume and put all my eggs in one basket. Um, I don't want to stress myself out either, but if I have the ability to balance these different areas, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I love it. And it keeps definitely keeps me busy. That's for sure. If you're not the definition of a go-getter, I don't know what is. I'm just saying. And I'm a communication degree as well. That's the reason I did it is because I ha- want to have so many different avenues. If I get, as well as if I get, I do sports reporting, I do a bunch of stuff working in my community. It just gives me so many different avenues and pl- of ways just to be like, all right, I can connect in different ways. All right. I don't want to talk about sports today. I want to go do something else. <laughs> but um, you're also now uh, a host of the Philadelphia Union. The Union season t- t- opened up yesterday for the MLS in a nil-nil draw with the Columbus crew. And for you, they won the Supporters' Shield last year. What are your expectations for the Union? Because I think they exceeded expectations last year in the regular season. But I thought they really missed CJ, not CJ Sapong's play, but his leadership on the pitch mm-hmm. for the for those postseason matches. What is your overall take on and expectations for them this year? Yeah, I, I agree in that um, you know, I thought that winning the supporter shield was definitely a big step. It was a major milestone. It was, it was definitely, definitely nothing to, to sneeze about. Um, and some of that is very exciting. But at the end of the day, the union for as tremendous as the regular season was come postseason did not make the run they wanted. And I think that's something that is really going to fuel them this year. Um, aside from having a number of roster changes and major changes at that um, and, and losing homegrown players. But I think at the end of the day, this is a group that understands just how talented they are. You know, Brendan and, and Mark, they'll, they'll figure out a way to, re- to, to replace them as best as you can. Um, but also knowing that like, they, they, they had a tremendous season last year and still did not achieve what they wanted to, yeah. you know, still did not have a deep postseason run, you know, maybe not winning the MLS cup altogether, but at least a, a deeper playoff run than they did. So I think for this group, we're going to see some, some special, some special performances as they go along. I think we're going to see players that are really stepping up um, Casper's and Anthony Fontana and Bedoya. I think we're going to really start to see guys coming into their own because it does also give you confidence having had that success but still hunger you're not complacent you know you've 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 had a taste of that success but you haven't fully had a chance to really really uh step into that so i'm i'm hoping that this year is going to be a year that they can kind of take that next step as a as a program because i think a lot of union fans will probably agree that it has been years and years of like just being on the cusp of greatness um but also i have been knock on wood, very successful in my track of teams that I cover doing well. When I started covering the Mystics, they won the championship. Um, the Wizards are at least doing better. Uh, the Union won the Supporters' Shield. So I'm going to hope that that momentum <laughs> continues here. They're trending um, in the right direction with you at the helm. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No pressure at all. I'm not trying to jinx it at all. But, um, you There's know, the I wood. Start knocking. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what else can I knock on here? But no, I do think uh, even looking at their preseason and how, how they were able to play through with a number of injuries, you know, I think this is going to be a special year for the union. I really do feel like they've kind of learned a lot about themselves and, and what they're capable of, which in itself is major towards success. And if Andre Blake's performance yesterday doesn't state uh, in, in a, uh, an incredible season, he was absolutely phenomenal yesterday afternoon. It was crazy how many saves he was making all over. 
Andre Blake is like superhuman. He is an incredible goalkeeper. He's, he's a great leader. He's consistent. And that in itself does give you so much confidence as a team when you know you have somebody behind you that he's going to make all the, the saves he's supposed to and one more. And that spectacular save. So I, I completely agree. And I know that last year was tough when, you know, when he had it, when he was injured, but hopefully he's someone that will continue to be the anchor of this team because he is a tremendous keeper and players like him deserve to have the success of making a, a far postseason run. For sure. And before, before we wrap up, I want to get your overall take on us soccer as a whole, the women, they have now been unbeaten in 39 games. Haven't lost since January of 2019. On the other side, the men have gone through another failure, failing to qualify for the Olympics when they could have easily pushed to bring in the best of the best, try and bring in Pulisic, McKenney, Adams, or at least reached out to the clubs to say, hey, can they at least come out and try and qualify for the Olympic team? And Pulisic came out later stating that it's been his dream to play for the Olympics and he probably will, unfortunately, may not get that opportunity ever. Just what is the balance between the two? And can you give a, an overlying statement between U.S. soccer? Oh, yeah. Um, on the international level, it is such a weird conundrum of how men's soccer for the United States is so much farther behind. And it doesn't even it's not even just at the international level. Look at the leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there's the discussions of Super League, the Super League and all these other things that are that are forming today. Yep. Um, oh gosh. But, um, at the end of the day, the MLS is behind, um, any league in European soccer, you know, the champions league, the premier league, they are head and shoulders above what the MLS is talent wise and just having the best names in soccer in their leagues. But it also stems back to the youth level. If you look at how we're, how we're brought up in soccer compared to other countries in other countries, players like Messi, first of all, not only are they getting opportunities to play at a really high level, they are just playing all the time. So we have the very structured youth system, which I think works for us on the girls' side, but not as much on the boys' side. And I've been seeing more changes to the boys' side where they're trying to kind of emulate what's happening internationally of like, you aren't just playing against your age. We're very stuck on like birth year and playing against your age. Whereas in other countries, if you're 12 years old and you're good enough to play with the U19 team, you're going to play with the U19 team. doesn't matter how old you are. Um, but also players are just playing all the time where we are very, there's, there's politics, there's a lot of financial issues where money in soccer, um, youth soccer, excuse me, brings a lot of money to people. There are people paying. And that's why I always say I've never paid thousands of dollars to play growing up. And I was fine, you know, but there are a lot of people that unfortunately feel like you have to, which takes away from the important piece the youth soccer, the players, the kids. Um, whereas in other countries, that's not the case. It's about soccer first. So if I think as a whole, it's just something that our country has to stop looking at money, uh, soccer as a moneymaker, excuse me, and focus more on what it's supposed to be, which is developing these players as, as individuals, as leaders, as talents. And on the women's side, I think the main reason why we are somewhat ahead and so successful is because in other countries, women weren't able to play soccer until much later. Like I hate to get into history, history, but we were able to play soccer as a country and on the women's side much sooner in the professional at college. 
Whereas in other countries that weren't, that was not the case. I know a lot of players that came over to the United States to be able to play soccer, a lot of girls. Whereas for the men's side, it's the opposite. We're fleeing from the United States to go play soccer somewhere else, like a Pulisic. So it is like a weird, weird thing how soccer is so imbalanced because in other sports like basketball, you don't see that at all. It's very consistent on both sides. But I think the hardest part that soccer has not figured out is it's two different issues. And we're like overthinking things like way too much. At the end of the day, just got to start getting players better and and giving players opportunities without the politics, without whatever other issues to just play. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And on the men's side specifically, I think because there there's three competitions that were going to take place this summer in the Olympics, Gold Cup, and as well as um, I can't think of it. Is it maybe it was one of the qualifications made for the World Cup? And you hit and Burhalter and like the presidents were like, we need to pick and choose where we want our players to play. I was like, are you kidding me? The Olympics is the second biggest stage in, in the world when it comes to soccer. What do you mean? We got to pick and choose like overthinking things. Overthinking. Yeah. And then on the women's side, I, they should they should be the heavy favorites in the Olympics as well. Um, before I let you go, Renee, where can we catch your stuff at your content? as well as do you want to give any advice to any aspiring sports journalists? Yeah. So um, I'll start with the advice. I definitely always tell people just to be very in this industry, especially you've got to be one of the hardest working people, you know, and, and work smart too. You know, I ironically say that as someone that's juggling a million things, but nothing's ever going to be handed to you. Nothing's ever going to be easy. Nothing ever is, it's not the straight and narrow path. So you do have to, you have to hustle. You've got to grind. You've got to make, have different um, types of content you're creating as as you're doing, you know, create a lot of content, be consistent, be someone that is um, trying to find unique ways to tell stories and share them. And then also understanding that you have to work for it. You know, this is not an industry where it's enough to just show up. You've got to always strive to be 10 times better than everyone else and find unique ways to make a name for yourself um, in terms of the stories that you're telling, the content that you're creating, instead of just trying to be a carbon copy of, a, you know, another already established broadcaster reporter. Be your own, create your own path. And then for me, that's that's exactly what I've been doing. It started with my social media, which you can follow. Um, I'm at Renee P. Wash on Twitter, at Renee P. Washington on Instagram, Facebook. I'm not really on Clubhouse as active, but I am on there. Um, I do have my website, ReneePWashington.com. Like everything is under Renee P. Washington. And I'm very big on, as you know, of uh, reaching out to people, following up, connecting. So, you know, I appreciate you having me on here, Blaine, because it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And for anybody uh, that is tuning in, you know, hopefully there's, there's more to come for you too. If you do have any ambitions of working in sports reporting, we're doing it. And you can do it too. <laughs> Absolutely. And the advice I always try to provide is in, like, as you said, you have to embrace the grind. This is a 24 hour job. Sometimes depending on the situation of the day, you may be working a 14 hour day. It could be a, a, as low as four to six hours, depending on the situation, but embrace the grind. It's not that nine to five schedule and enjoy it. Cause if you're not passionate about it, you just go find something that you are passionate about because passion is the biggest part in this thing. So again, thank you so much, Renee, for coming on. It was a true pleasure to have you on. It was a blast. Hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again so much. It's been, it's been fun and I'm excited to uh, continue to see what you've got going on as well. So thank you. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. Enjoy your Monday. That was the Monday edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. Enjoy your day.